0: So for those of you expecting to see Pastor Mary up here tonight, I am most definitely not Pastor Mary. (laughs) Uh, Most of you, I'm guessing most of you know who I am. My name is Matt Postma. I'm a chaplain here at Calvin. Um, And maybe that's a bit more for... Shout out. For the people in the live stream, uh, wherever you're at, Um, my name is Matt. Hello. Hello. Um, shout out to Paul Bursma. I know he's watching um, live stream. Um, but frequently here at, at Loft, um, we remember each other in prayer. We bring before God our community and, and the ways that we can pray for each other. And we like to hear about what's going on in our community from people in our community. So I'm going to invite uh, Keegan up here right now to talk about BHT. <clears throat> this one okay? You can use this microphone. (laughs) I'm guessing. I get a thumbs up. All right. So Keegan, welcome. Thank you. And uh, tell us how we can keep uh, BHT in our prayers.
1: Yeah. Well, there's um, five different ways that we came up uh, with things that you guys can be um, lifting BHT up in prayer. Um, The first is God's grace and compassion in the midst of conflict. Um, The dorms are a very tight space, Mm -hmm. and so sometimes you run into conflict. So for God's grace and compassion in those Situations, um, continued unity in Christ among the residents of Bolt Timmer, a physical space in which residents can grow um, and mature in their faith, uh, joyfulness and fun that comes um, in being redeemed by Christ and the community that you can live in um, with everyone. And then finally, um, during the holidays that are coming up and finals for safety and peace for our residents as all of the craziness.
0: Mm. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll be praying for you in our congregation, or our prayer in a little bit. Um, I'd like to invite a, a Paul now, too, to tell us a little bit about... Maybe you want to hang on to this one. and put it away. Um, Thanks, man. Good. Say what you have to say. Um. <laughs>
2: A couple times a year, uh, we like to find out a little bit of information about everybody who's coming to Loft so that we can learn well how to serve our community well in worship here at Loft. So during our offering, we're going to pass out in the baskets, there's going to be this real quick little survey for you to quickly fill out. And it's just got some basic demographic information like what year you are, do you live on campus, off campus, uh, what your primary worshiping community is, do you have a local church that you're going to, do you see Loft as your primary church, some general information uh, there. And we're gonna pass those out. And then, um, so take take a little survey and take a pen. But unfortunately, we're running a little short on pens Um, And so if you can uh, share with your neighbors, and if any of you brought pens along, if you could use those, and we'll make sure that we can get these all filled out together. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna pass the baskets back around, and then put your pen back so that I can use them next time we do something like this, and then put the little survey in there, and then at the same time, you can put in your offering. Isn't that awesome? How like (laughs) efficient in what we're gonna be doing here. So you can put your offering in for the Care. Yes, the Community Care Fund. And so that's our offering that we uh, take every week uh, for our community to help serve students like you and you. Um, so at this time, we'll uh, for, take a little while and do the do the little survey. It should be real quick. And then uh, also take the offering.
0: survey. That helps us out a lot. We're a community that that worships together, uh, hears God's word together, but also prays together. So would you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you this evening and we thank you for this time and space where we can worship you freely where we can hear your word. We thank you for this campus and the learning that can happen here. And we thank you for the, the living communities as well, the dorms, the apartments. We thank you especially for uh, Boltheins Timmer. And we remember that dorm in particular this evening. And we, we lift it up. We ask that it be a, a space of renewal, a space where people can get good sleep, where people can do homework well, where people can show grace and compassion to each other, especially amidst a very busy season. Lord, we're faced with lots of projects and homework and things to keep us busy. Lord, we ask that you help us in this time in this place now to slow our hearts and be attentive to you. Give us the, the diligence and the clarity to be able to complete our assignments well and to do the, the things that we need to do before the end of the semester. But we pray for those in this community that are hurting, whether that's physically or emotionally. We lift them up before you We ask that you care for them, that you heal them. For the people in the hospitals, we ask that you give the doctors clarity about how to treat them, what to do to make them well. And Lord, we we pray for our world. Our world is hurting. We hear about conflicts and violence. We hear about racism. We hear about Ebola and how it continues to take people's lives. Lord, our hearts are heavy and they're breaking. Help us to know how we might be able to witness well in, in this time. Open our eyes to the ways that you're showing us that we might be able to witness well to you and to your word. Give us willing hands to be able to do the work that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Make us willing servants. And now, Lord, prepare our hearts as we're going to hear from your word Prepare our hearts that we might know what you're, what you're telling to us. That we might feel you near us and present with us throughout this week. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Scripture this evening is from Acts fifteen. We're not in James anymore, which is kind of kind of a surprise. We're in Acts fifteen, but we're mentioning James, so don't worry. <laughs> Acts fifteen, uh, the that's on page eight hundred ninety nine. I'm going to be reading the first twenty one verses. kind of long, so bear with me. Be patient. James talks about that, right? Be patient. (laughs) Acts 15, starting at verse 1. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. And as they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take them from among a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it, and I will set it up so that all, the, all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from the things polluted by idols and from fornication, and from whatever has been strangled, and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him. For he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have a lot going on here. And I want to start off by defining some terms to, to begin. Um, I'm going to be talking about the Pharisees and the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews are basically people who are historically God's people, Israel, the Old Testament Israel, God's people. And the Gentiles are as, as everyone else. Um, if you don't belong to this group of people, ethnically Jewish people, you belong to the Gentile group. I would be a Gentile. I'm, I'm not an ethnically Jewish. Um, and so it also talks about circumcision and the law of Moses. The law of Moses is, is a lot of like the, the ceremonial law, the moral law, and, and it would end up affecting a lot of the stuff that would go on in day-to-day life, like property, property rules and animal rules and when you could and couldn't dig a hole or something, right? So that's what I mean when I'm talking about the law of Moses. And so we're we're meeting some Pharisees and Jewish people who are excited about the fact that there are Jewish or there are Gentile converts, but they're saying we gotta have a rule for how they're in and how and, and, and if they're not in to say they're out. And James is a part of this group, this this ruling body of elders. And we've we've heard from James quite a lot. We've been studying James this whole semester, and James gave us a lot to think about and a lot to do. A lot of tasks, a lot of things. So we're met here with an early church in Acts. And we have... People writing back and forth to each other. James' letter is an example of elders writing back and forth to each other to encourage each other, to support each other, to challenge each other. This is what it means to live a Christian life, to live out of gratitude. And in Acts, we hear a lot about people coming to faith, great conversion stories. We hear some great sermons powerful sermons. We also hear about a a little bit of controversy, the difficult stuff that happens in the church. And the controversy in this text is what I mentioned. The Gentiles were coming to faith, but some of the Pharisees were saying they need to be circumcised and they need to follow the law of Moses in order to actually get salvation. That's the line they were drawing To actually get salvation, they need to be recognized as a part of the people of God, a part of the Jewish community. So you could become a Jew by following the law of Moses and being circumcised. These were important parts of the process for the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were okay with... Gentile converts, but they they needed to draw a line somewhere. And Paul and Barnabas were going about doing their missionary thing, as they do. And they made converts. They, They converted some people to Christianity. They proclaimed the power of Jesus. They talked about his death and resurrection, and people believed and came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But then they were also, Paul and Barnabas were also saying, you, you don't actually have to have this circumcision thing, and you don't actually have to follow all of these, these laws of Moses. And that was getting the Pharisees upset. That was where the, the, the rub was happening. So the Pharisees gathered in um, a council. They got all the people together together, um, Peter and James and Paul and Barnabas, and they were all invited and they are going to have this discussion, this conversation, maybe an argument. And the Pharisees thought James is going to be our champion. James is going to be our guy. He's been around the church for a long time, and you remember that letter he wrote? He drew a lot of hard lines. He drew a lot of hard lines and said, you're either in or you're out. He didn't mince words. He didn't He didn't say, he didn't talk out of both parts of his mouth. He said, This is the way it is. You either have faith that that works or your faith is without a pulse. There is no middle ground between alive and dead. Your faith is either alive or your faith is dead. You're either humble or you're not. You either show favoritism or you don't. He draws some pretty hard lines. He's going to be our guy. And so the line that the Pharisees had drawn was to say circumcision and the law of Moses is is the line for salvation. On this side of the line, I don't know if you can see this or not, I I made a blue line. (laughs) Pretty proud of my blue line. (laughs) On this side of the line is salvation because of circumcision and the law of Moses. And on this side is not. Not. Salvation, not. And they were drawing the line to say, this is what it means to be a part of the family of God, a part of the people of God. To be circumcised and following the law of Moses makes you distinct, makes you recognizable, makes you people who are different. You subscribe to a different set of laws, you look different, you act different, This is is what makes you a part of the people of God. And this circumcision in the law of Moses was so tied to that identity as the people of God that the Pharisees were unable to see that these people on this side of the line were saved by Jesus Christ just as much as these people were. The Pharisees were basically saying, God's people are distinctive. They look and act differently. They need to look and act differently. And so in some ways, you can kind of see that the Pharisees are looking out. They're saying, hey, you need to be on this side, not on this side. Because this side guarantees your salvation. This side, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. So, the Pharisees are trying to say, hey, we we really want you in our community. We really want you to be saved. But the only way that we know you to be saved is as part of God's people, which means circumcision and following the law of Moses. Those are important things, so come on over. So, the Pharisees are looking out, they're trying to look out for these Gentile believers. And then Peter stands up and he talks about how, you know, it had been him who was preaching the message to the Gentile believers. And he's basically referencing Acts 10, verse 44 through 46. This is after uh, Peter met Cornelius. And it uh, talks about how in, in verse 44 it says, While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone with, withhold the water for, baptism, for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they invited him to stay for several days. That's what Peter is talking about here when he says, I was the one who actually witnessed the Holy Spirit descend on these Gentiles. So I can't be the one that says, I'm drawing the hard line. The Holy Spirit isn't discriminating between them. Well, why should I? Who am I to draw the hard line? And Paul and Barnabas get up and and talk for a little while. And then James. James, our buddy James, right? James stands up and he he quotes from Amos. Amos chapter 9. And he talks about how all of these people, whoever they are, All people will seek the Lord. I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Not people who call on the name of the Lord, over whom my name has been called. My name has been placed on you. So the line that the Pharisees have set up is starting to diminish. Diminish. Peter said something. James said something. This line looks like it's disappearing pretty quickly. But they're wondering, what what do we say about salvation for God's people? What do we say about what it means to be saved? Doesn't that mean, doesn't the people of God mean anything? And sometimes we can get a little self-righteous and say, Oh, those Pharisees. Man, they really get it wrong a lot in this book. Like they, they really don't know what they're talking about most of the time. But if I take time and examine this, most of the time I'm in the same camp as the Pharisees. I'm right there with them. We do the same thing. We draw lines. We do it all the time. How, how far can I go with my significant other before it's crossing the line? How far can I go? Can I get drunk every weekend and still be called a Christian? Or is it every other weekend? Where's the line? How many swear words? uh, What's the threshold on, on swear words? I can get away with three, but four? That's it. We draw lines. We do it all the time. I can get away with this much and still be considered a Christian. We start to think of of our Christian life as as giving us license to be able to do something. I can do just this much and still be considered a Christian, but going past that, that would take a lot of effort. That would take a lot of energy. I just don't have it. Or, I'm going to you know, I, I've got my three swear words and i gotta, I got to make sure that I don't get that fourth because then I'm not Christian. We reduce our Christian life to technicalities and license and legalese. And we don't live out of gratitude. We re- live out of obligation. I'm obligated to make sure that this line stays where it is. I'm obligated to not... Do this, or I'm obligated to do that thing in order to be a Christian. And it starts to set up a God who's upstairs with a score sheet, making little (laughs) ticks in the book. And we gravitate toward lines because they're. I don't know, but if they're easier, they offer more control. They offer more control because, or at least a feeling of control. Because they say, here, I'm out. Here, I'm in. I'm all right. Lines, we can even, like, move the line a little bit so that it suits us. Maybe you've done something like this where you say, it's getting towards the end of the semester. I need a 76 on this final exam in order to pull a straight B. 75, I'm not going to make the B, but 76, I know that's, that's right where I need to be. So I'm only going to study for about a half hour. <laughs> 76 is what I need. I'm gunning for that. I don't need anything more. Beyond 76 is gravy, but 76—that's what I need, and that's all I'm going to strive for. Or maybe you're like me, and you—you uh, you know that uh, the well, you've heard that the police in Michigan will pull you over for doing 78, so you do 77 everywhere you go. <laughs> 77 is safe. 78—you're getting a ticket. You you put lines down, and you say, this is as far as I can go without getting in trouble. This is as far as I need to go in order to get what I need to get. We become legalistic. We draw lines. And when we do that enough in our everyday lives, when we don't live out of joy, but we live out of obligation, we don't live out of gratitude, we live out of obligation, we start to see God as the professor with the, with the score sheet. We start to see God as the cop with the ticket book. We start to view God in the way that we view other relationships. We don't live out of gratitude. We live out of obligation. So we live day to day drawing lines and managing what side we're on so that we can look a certain way. I draw a line here so that I can look a certain way for my professor. I draw a line here so I can make sure that I'm, I don't have too many tickets. I draw a line here so that I make sure that I look like a good Christian. I didn't go to church this week, but I went to chapel. So, that should count for something, right? It seems like Success in life is tied to the idea of staying on one side of the line or the other. This is success, and this is not, and we're always riding that line. We're trying real hard to ride that line to stay on the successful side. This is what it means to be successful. I'm a couple toes away from being unsuccessful. And we develop a pattern of, here's a line, and I need to live up to it here's a line, I need to live up to it to to be successful. And pretty soon we start putting that line on other people. Here's a line that you need to be successful. Here's a line that we need to enjoy salvation. That made a jump pretty quick. We draw lines all the time. And let me tell you, Jesus isn't about lines. Jesus isn't about lines. Paul and Barnabas are trying to tell that to to this council. They're trying to say, Jesus is enough. Jesus accomplished salvation. Jesus did it. There's, There's nothing more that needs to be done. This circumcision stuff and the the law of Moses, that's fine. You can have that. That's great. But it's not required for salvation. They're a part of the community of God because the Spirit dwells within them. They're a part of the community of God because they're here. And the, the Pharisees, their intention isn't wrong. Their intention is to say, hey, we're looking out. We want you to be on the right side. We want you to to have salvation. So their intention wasn't wrong, but insisting on this this mark or this method, that was wrong. They were saying, (laughs) it's it's as if the Pharisees were saying, Jesus needs a little help. Jesus needs a little help from circumcision and the law of Moses for salvation to happen. We'll give it a little supplement. We'll make this happen with with what we do. The the work of Jesus is powerful. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were getting at. And Peter and James, they're saying Jesus is powerful. Powerful. And if there was a line that we had to to try to meet up with, we'd never be able to reach it. We would never be able to stack up to what God requires of us. If there were a line, we we wouldn't be able to do it, or we'd mess up. We'd mess up real good. Because we're sinful. We can't reach the line. It It would be like putting a line on the ceiling somewhere and saying, cross that line. It's frustrating. It would be really frustrating. Some of you engineers might get clever and try to find your way up there, but (laughs) it would be really frustrating and impossible. So God invites us into community for a reason. God invites us into community to to remind us that Jesus paid the price in full. There's nothing that we can do to, to push a line, to meet the line, to meet the requirements. Jesus did it. Jesus paid it in full. And it's out of joy and gratitude that we work on things like humility and patience, watching our tongue, not playing favorites, It's out of joy and gratitude that we do these things. So erasing the line doesn't mean that we take away our distinctiveness. Our distinctiveness still matters to God. Look, be humble. Really work on being humble. Really work on controlling your tongue. Really work on playing favorites don't play favorites. (laughs) That came out wrong. (laughs) And James, James calls us to do something. James says, do these things. These are distinctive marks of the Christian faith. Here's here's how you do that. And, And it's really tempting to start drawing lines. But James says, do this out of joy and gratitude. The motivation should not be about lines because Jesus Christ. Oh man, now I just pushed the thing down. <laughs> Jesus Christ got rid of the line. Now it's stuck to me. <laughs> Never work with tape again. <laughs> The motivation should not be about lines because Jesus Christ accomplished that. The motivation should be to live well in Christian community, to take care of your brother and sister because you really do care about them. You really do care about them. It's impossible for you to live up to a standard that, that you would be able to enjoy salvation you, to do it on your own. It's impossible. So I'm, I'm telling you, don't expect God with a scoreboard or a score sheet saying, okay, you, you worried below the threshold of the worry threshold, so you're okay. And, you know, I saw, I saw you didn't go as far with your girlfriend as you, you could have, and I respect that, so you're in. That's not how it works. So what does distinctive look like? What does gratitude look like? It looks like humility. Working on humility. It looks like trying to, for the sake of of your floor mates, to swear less. Maybe it means making space for the people on the outside of your community. People who hang out Kind of close, but not in your group. Maybe it means making space for them, caring for them, loving them. And maybe those things, maybe the swearing, maybe the humility, used to be a line for you. But now all you can see is grace. Maybe there used to be a line somewhere for you, and now all you can see is grace and Jesus Christ occupying that space. That's a beautiful thing. And a gift like that, it can be really tempting to try to like, return the favor, to say, oh, you know, I, Jesus did this for me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to live up to this thing. I'm going to try to show them that I'm, I'm, I'm really meaning this Christian life. It's really tempting to try to pay it back. But how do you do that? I mean, you can't. I don't know if any of you remember, uh, near the beginning of the James study, Pastor Mary preached on James 2. And she talked about, uh, we were talking about communion that evening. And she was talking about how when you go home to your parents, and sometimes you're sitting there at the table, and you see your parents, your parent just sitting there staring at you. And it's that awkward stare, and you're like, what? And they say, it's just nice having you home. It's just nice having you here. And you're like, okay. your reaction is, okay. It's not, let me go do the dishes and let me go vacuum and clean my room. <laughs> you're not seeing your, your parents as, your mom or dad, as, as saying, like, I, I'm glad you're here, so go do something, right? <laughs> it's, it's not that kind of response that you have. It's, okay.
2: <laughs>
0: That's Okay. You don't see your parents as as people that you need to pay back. That's your mom and your dad. They're just being your mom and your dad. They show you love. They invite you to the table. They just like to see you across the table and say, I'm so glad that you're here. They're not expecting any payback. They're not expecting you to live up to a certain mark. God provides salvation for God's people, but there are fewer lines than we think. There are fewer lines on the ground. There are fewer lines above our head. There are fewer lines everywhere because Jesus accomplished it. Jesus conquered it. And we have reminders from Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James. That we are a distinctive people, but we live out of gratitude, not obligation. And that living out of gratitude is what makes us distinct. Jesus has erased these lines. And praise God for that. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... We thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that we can enjoy salvation without having to be on a certain side of the line. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that gift of your Son, Jesus. We confess to you the times that we try to live up to some standard in, in an attempt to gain some good grace in an attempt to gain our own salvation. And really, we can't. Lord, help us to see you filling that place where lines used to be. Help us to see your grace. Help us to lean on you for our salvation and point others to that salvation. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.